0: Welcome to Ryan Ranson and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec Government Office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan ranson Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Today, I'm pleased to be with two great women. Um, they are also entrepreneurs. I'm with Nancy McDonald, an accomplished fashion writer, historian, and author. I'm also with Gabby Bassora, who is the founder and director of Tucker. Thank you, ladies, again for taking the time to chat with me.
1: Oh, thank you, Ryan, for inviting us onto your podcast.
0: Are there anything that you ladies can rave about that you're excited about for the future? Or you can even say something that you want to rave about in the past that's happened recently.
2: Um, Nancy, can I go? Because I feel a little bit excited here.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so happy to hear that because I was struggling with this one. Yes, go ahead.
2: So I have been taking these long walks in the park every morning because of COVID and the working from home and just a change to some of the other routines that I used to have. And I must say that there is something right now, I, I've been liberated in a way because you have this luxury of time. So sometimes, you know, sometimes I put on a Tucker dress and high heels and I just walk around the park, the lap, which is six miles. Yeah. And I I do it to just have a different moment, feeling energy. But I also see that it it produces these different responses in people. People are domestically, they say, "Oh, we're waiting for you to come around the bend in that bright floral dress. <laughs> so I'm excited right now that we have uh, this obstacle in front of us that's confusing people and that is unsettling. and i don't I don't welcome the disturbances and certainly the, negative effects that it's had in people's lives. But what I do think is that I see also people gathering in the park and using outdoor space, public space in a way, I think that they used to use it because we had a, a, maybe we had less access to these private spaces, right? So there's a display of living, I think, that was hidden for a while in private spaces that have become public again.
0: And the one thing I'll say about that is, you know, with the, out, with the public spaces, even with just outdoor dining, that's something that probably it reminds me more of Europe. And I think uh, I enjoy more going to a restaurant now just to be outdoors and, and you enjoy the outdoors, which is something that I don't think would have occurred um, without COVID in, in, in the U.S.,
2: it always made me wonder why we had so little of that in a city like New York, which is such a people-watching street life, <laughs> yeah. vital city, why so much of the life, you know, became sequestered to these private spaces. But uh, And I don't have the answer to that, but I certainly, I, I agree with you. I welcome this.
1: Ryan, it's funny that you mentioned the outdoor dining, because when I first saw that, you know, as a Montrealer, I immediately thought, "Oh, it's a terrasse." You know, it's yeah. the first thing I thought, <laughs> um, and it, I did think, "Wow, why didn't why didn't New York have that before?" Because you know, in in Montreal, after uh, what is a very long and harsh winter, all of the restaurants then immediately set up these outdoor dining spaces, and people so appreciate yeah. uh, being outside, being in the sunshine, and I still have that mentality that I have to be outside as much as possible when the weather is nice. I mean, I go outside, of course, in, in the winter as well. But in, I think there is that idea that you have to get as much sunshine as you possibly can when it's warm.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm now going to talk about something that, you know, some might say is a big, well, it is a more controversial subject. But, you know, I would like to touch upon just the fur industry, um, just because that's Canada has a deep history to it. But, you know, you know, Gabby, I'll I'll address this question to you, you know, what are your thoughts and, you know, you know, who are some influential women that have, have worn fur?
2: Icon is not the wrong, is the wrong word, but just women, I think inspirational women in my life. We, Nancy and I both had the pleasure of having a nice friendship with my neighbor in the West Village, who was my landlord, and um, she was a fashion photographer in the, 40s, 50s, 60s, she had started her career at Vogue, she had gone to Pratt Institute, she was Swedish by heritage and had grown up in New Jersey. And she was an exceptional woman. And she had made a lot of her photographs were centered around fur advertising. And uh, for Christian Dior, for EMBA, for different, different brands, but she had a huge body of work that was related to fur and she actually i discovered when we were looking through her archives at pratt had i believe her senior project was centered around fur and she had created this uh book that was beautifully done i wish that it could be turned into a book now because i think that uh my grandmother wore fur. I have fur coats that my grandmother gave me that when they became, you know, dried out and were unpreservable anymore, I salvaged what I could. I made head headbands for my sisters and I and earmuffs and my, you know, nieces got earmuffs and we literally, it was like, you know, there's this book, uh, Tamar Adler does the everlasting meal. And she talks about you, you take all the scraps from the vegetables, you put them in a, in a container, then that's your soup stock. And then your soup, the, the last little drizzles of your soup stock go into something else. And you just, you have an attitude that is not wasteful. And there's certainly some people, and I know, and you know, I have friends that are vegan that are completely against fur, and I can appreciate and respect yeah. their decisions, you know, and why they, want to live their life like this. And, and, and then at the same time, I feel like I would like to be able to wear my grandmother's fur coat that she had in her closet for 40 years and, and left to me. And when I put that on, I remember all the times driving in the car next to her and the conversations that we had and the things that she taught me and the significance of that. And the fact that after 40 years something you know how many people go through you know a million polyester you know coats and yeah. they've got love Patagonia for repairing coats but things a lot of things have shelf lives and then there's some things that have managed to endure over years and years and years and i think that that has to be acknowledged there's different sustainability there's different ways of being conscientious
0: a conscientious consumer and I, well, I think what's also very beautiful about the story is like you're keeping something that's tied to your family and altering it and you can still carry it with you. Um, and it's, it, it is very sustainable. Um, and the one thing I'll say about, you know, reusing like a, a vintage fur coats is even if you decide to give it away, it's, it will decompose more naturally because it isn't synthetic. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it's like you said, you know, when we spoke earlier, it's, you know, when someone just puts a blanket statement over something, you know, it's hard for them to actually have a discussion and for them to actually learn about the more details and, you know, you know, and you know, what is actually positive. Yeah. And I,
2: I think that it's, what's happening right now kind of with cancel culture is that people just grab an idea and get behind it, you know, because the intention is good. The intention is not bad. I don't think that, the intention is bad, but I think it's just very knee jerk reaction without taking the time to really understand, um, things and to, to have the courage to go against the tide of, of popular thought and really look at things and try to gain a deeper insight and understanding of things. And then, and then, you know, and then stand up and be courageous for what is something that you think, you it's know, right? Yeah, it's right, it's right.
0: Mm-hmm. It, and I think, you know, just for companies, companies who just follow, you know, what is popular in movement, I think they never stay long-term. I think, that, you know, companies who, who s- stick to what is true in their DNA, I think those are the ones who people will always gravitate towards because they, you know, of course things alter and adapt and pivot, but they're still who they are. 10 years ago.
2: No, um, it's, a, it's upsetting because I think also there's a validity of people's stories. You know, Nancy and I worked very hard to get Virginia's story told, you know, in the sense yeah. that she was yeah. not Vivian Mayer. Nobody discovered that she was a photographer, you know, after she passed away, but she was, she came about in a time like Diane, we, you know, Diane Arbus was her peer. Um, there you know, there were few women in her field. She was very, um, I mean, I say this, but, you know, throughout history, there's always been this woman, all of a sudden, you know, we get asked, you know, in how do you balance being a working mom and to, and being yeah. a mother? And I think, well, we've been doing it for since the beginning of time. <laughs> and um, so we've become very good at it. But um, But I think Nancy and I really were, Quite discouraged that we had this beautiful story to tell, beautiful images like people were. Mm-hmm. We yeah. would show them to girls that you know, and they were and so they loved them. They were so moved by Virginia's images yeah. that were Virginia did not like cleavage. I mean, you know, sometimes just with the fur, I had to run upstairs before she saw me if I was in one of my little crappie tops that I also do love to wear with, you know, <laughs> alongside a silk dress. And I think they really I really should say, Abby,
1: too, that that Virginia was really the the you know she shot fur because she was working at the top of her field. The really uh, Virginia shot advertising rather than editorial because, as you said, she was a mother. She was uh, on her own raising her son, and advertising paid and still pays much more than editorial work. Yeah. Uh, and in shooting fur, she was really working at the top of her field because in the 1950s and the 40s and the 60s, doing um, shooting advertising for fur and for cars, those were the, that, those, that was the prestige advertising. Uh, that was the really top end. So she was really, really at the top of her field.
0: So this leads me, Nancy, could you quickly perhaps um, speak about, you know, the history of how Canada is tied to the fur industry? intimately tied to fur.
1: Um, you know, if you look at the history of um, Canada, very, very closely tied to um, the fur trade. If you look at uh, La Compagnie de la Nouvelle, no, de la Nouvelle France, uh, the Hudson Bay Company, the Northwest yep. Company, um, these were all fur traders. Um, and they really, uh, they they if they didn't exist, they were in Canada to trade furs, and that was the the main economic engine
0: that developed um, what was then the colony. Yeah, and when well, Hudson Bay itself, you know, it's it's been around for a very long time. It's one of the oldest companies, I think, in North America.
2: I believe. I know. So, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah, going to say just just think of all the brands that have had their businesses supported in such a great way and growth. Thanks to the Hudson Bay Company here in the US. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we've yeah. had incredible exposure and the doors that the stores, you know, just the number of retail doors, and I think um is such an incredible influence and opportunity, you know, creation of opportunity. Business business gets a bad rap, just like fur gets a bad rap <laughs> sometimes. And and that we it's so integral and um the things, the opportunities that it creates um, on so many different levels, whether, you
1: know, it's for people's livelihood, economic activity. It's- you know, as we just saw, Fendi just hired Kim Jones to take over um, designing their women's wear collection. So I think that we all see some interesting things coming out of that. And I think that is a big vote of confidence on their part that they don't think, uh, you know, fur is going anywhere.
0: Um, I do want to chat about, you know, because we did mention Hudson Bay. You know, you wrote an article um, about department stores um, Mm -hmm. about um, two years ago, you know, and how department stores were really a place um, for individuals to really, you know, come together and enjoy their experience. Um, How do you think department stores have changed from, you know, their origins?
1: Um, You know, department stores were one of the first places where women could be out in public on their own, respectable places that women could be out in public on their own. And then later they provided places where women could have careers. Uh, My grandmother worked at Simpsons, which closed a long time ago. The Montreal branch was on St. Catherine Street. I think it's now um, where's La Maison Simons. Simons, yeah. And then, you know, people started shopping in different ways. The end really began when people began moving to the suburbs. These department stores are, are essentially urban. Uh, people began dressing more casually. Uh, there were many factors in the decline of the department store. Uh, you know, and people say that department stores didn't adapt, and so they became irrelevant. And in some ways, there were things they could have done differently. Uh, they stopped, for example, treating their sales staff. As a profession that really deserved respect. Departments mm-hmm. used to spend a lot of time training their sales staff about what they were selling, about seasonal trends, about what was happening in the market. But department stores also became victims of this relentless focus on profit. Capitalism run amok about ordering everything on Amazon. Um, it's certainly much easier. It's more convenient to order things online, but it's also less human. You know, there's yeah. nothing... Sociable about it, and that's what department stores, at their best, provided. They were social spaces. They were communal spaces. They were part of their communities. Um, and shopping used to be an occasion. I'm old enough. You know, Gabby and I are both old enough to remember that. You know, we were going out with your mother and your sisters. You know, going out yeah. for lunch when shopping was an occasion. Um, you could linger over it, unlike going out to you know, as you said, a restaurant or a and,
2: and also, like the there's no time for that, has- that anymore. The stores had, uh, my mother was a working woman. She had Mm -hmm. a movie theater in Seattle's public markets. And she, um, the department stores also, I don't know, Nancy, if you remember, had little play centers where you could drop off your children Mm. and they could have a snack and a little play area. And there were, they were little Mm. nursery centers, which meant that a woman could actually go and not have to drag her child around in a carriage, you know. Half the time, you see like kids, you know, on their parents' telephones just because right. the mother needs to buy some pants to go to a meeting on mm-hmm. Monday. You know, I mean, I think what has happened is that in in our effort for efficiency to make time for all these other things, we've traded the fact that actually that was a that was I think more sociable more impactful than trying to rush around and get everything done and order your clothes from your bedroom at midnight Mm -hmm. know, at the end of your day that's already so filled
1: right doing some work for an online retailer they said their sales would spike at about 9 p.m um because kids were in bed Mm. others could sit down with a glass of wine and then they would start ordering. Nancy and
2: Ryan, I have to also just say a very important point that, you know, relates to the way that we're doing business now at Tucker is that we're making things, these units of one, when we're not pre-stocking inventory, when you order a dress from Tucker, we're making it for you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we're asking the client, the customer to wait a week to receive a dress by the time it's made and shipped from our factory, which Goes against what many brands were offering at Amazon Prime, next day, same day delivery. Instant gratification, yeah. But Mm -hmm. the thing is that the customer also has to engage with us in the sense of that, you know, when you're online shopping, because you're not going into a store and trying something on and you don't have a lovely salesperson who often had an incredible sense of style themselves. I worked Mm -hmm. at Agnes B., you know, I was really very, vested in if somebody wanted to buy something I didn't think looked good, even at 17, when I was working there, I had the, I had the confidence to say, you know, I didn't think it looked good. Could I suggest something else? And, and so you're ordering 10 blouses or 10 items from a store and most often you only have the intention of keeping, you know, two yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
2: or one. Right. And so what that's doing is I think it's very interesting. It's putting it, to, it, it puts all the burden on the manufacturer
1: mm-hmm. and yeah. rather
2: than saying, we're going to partner together. Like I want to make as little imprint on the universe, but I love clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want a new blouse, but I don't want to devastate the environment in mm-hmm. it's thing so it has to be, I believe, a concerted effort on, on both people's parts, and that's why I loved, you know, the department store or the brick and mortar because I think that you can shop, I think, more responsibly than when you're just ordering things, you know, from your bed at nine p.m. Yeah.
0: Well, on that, you know, I had a great time chatting with you both, so thank you again. En grand merci, c'est un vraiment plaisir, and I look forward to chatting again.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for asking us to be on the podcast.
0: Yes, thank you, Ryan.
2: It was a pleasure. And Nancy, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Gabby. I hope I get to see you soon.
0: Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. À très bientôt.